0: Now, we want to pick up Galatians chapter 2, really starting in earnest at verse 15. But so often, I like to get a running start. So we're going to come back to verse 11 and take a look at the text beginning with there, because it kind of begins this section, where Paul says in Galatians 2.11, But when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Paul was a pastor at a church in the city of Antioch. This was a happening church. God was really moving. People were getting saved left and right. Uh, Jewish people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Gentile people who are non-Jews, they were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And when they came together in the church at Antioch, they just mixed together and had beautiful fellowship, the way it should be among Christians, right? There shouldn't be any dividing lines among Christians. It shouldn't be rich on one side and poor on the other. It shouldn't be uh, one race on one side and another race on another. It shouldn't be one culture or status on one side and another culture and status on another. We're the church. We're together. We're all under the common lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, that's how it was in the church at Antioch, until some certain men from Jerusalem came. Now, these men from Jerusalem were well-intentioned. They had a heart after God, but they weren't thinking biblically. They weren't thinking correctly. And they thought that being a Christian meant to follow Jesus and to put yourself under the law of Moses. That was a big and. It's not just following Jesus. It's not just trusting him. It's also putting yourself under the law of Moses. Now, that meant that they looked at the Gentile Christians and said, you're not really Christians. You haven't put yourself under the law of Moses. The men had not been circumcised. They did not eat a kosher diet when they got together at the table. You know, they ate non-kosher food. And this was a big offense to these certain people from Jerusalem. So here's the situation at the church at Antioch, and Peter's there. He's the guest of honor at a church potluck. And then all of a sudden, these certain men from Jerusalem walk in, and then there's a division. They say, divide up the Christians. You see, we Jewish Christians can't eat with those Gentiles because, well, they're not under the law of Moses, and they're unclean. And then all of a sudden, there's a big division in the church at Antioch, right? And Peter is on the wrong side of that division. Paul had to rebuke him publicly. You read it in those verses I just read, right? 11, 12, and 13. How Paul says, uh, look look at it here, verse uh, 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all. I mean, this was a public confrontation. It was a public compromise of the truth of the gospel. Therefore, Paul was going to make a public confrontation of Peter. This wasn't a matter of personal sin. It wasn't a matter of just some uh, minor thing. The, the truth of the gospel was being publicly compromised. So Paul, oh, how dramatic this must have been. And you get to heaven, you've you got to get the video of this. Although as I've been thinking about it, in heaven, you know, it's got to be like DVD or something even nicer, right? Video, that's old stuff, right? Right? In any regard, you, you get that from the lending library, and you see this scene. And here's Paul with this dramatic public confrontation of Peter. And the first thing he does in verse 14 he says, Hey, Peter, you don't live under the law of Moses, but now you're kind of acting like it in the way that you're separating from the Gentiles. Peter, I went to the restaurant, saw you were eating pork chops. Here's the, here's the bill from the waitress right here. You know, I, I've got evidence. Peter, you don't live under the law of Moses but you're acting like these Gentiles have to. What's up with that? But now in verse 15, he begins his examination. Look at it with me here, verse 15. He says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Paul really hones in on this port before Peter. He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, let's get something straight here. You come from a Jewish background. I come from a Jewish background. We're both the same in that regard. You were circumcised according to the law of Moses when you were only eight days old. So was I. Peter, you have lived under a Jewish law and regulation. You you lived under kosher diet and separation from Gentiles and all that that entails. Peter, you did it all, I did it all. We both know that. And we both know that that couldn't save us. We both know that everything we did to try to be justified under the law of Moses didn't work. We could only find salvation when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. By the works of the flesh no one will be justified. Nobody. Not, not Jew, not Gentile, nobody. Now isn't this brilliant logic that Paul uses with Peter? He says, Peter, listen, we kept the law, and it didn't do us any good. We had to come to faith in Jesus. Why then are we looking to put the Gentiles under the law? It didn't work for us. Why is it going to work for them? That's what Paul is getting at in verses 15 and 16. And this was something that Peter knew just as much as Paul did. That's why he says, we who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles. And going on, verse 16, he says, even we have believed in Christ Jesus. Peter, you believed in Jesus. Keeping the law wasn't good enough for you. It wasn't good enough for me. And this is the bottom line, is that you can't find a right relationship with God based on what you do for him. You can't. Now, You might think you can, but if you think you can, you're mistaken. You might hope you can, but if you hope you can, it's a false hope. You might think you should be able to do it, but you're mistaken in that as well. The only way to have a right relationship with God is not on the basis of what you can do for him, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for you. We don't make our own way before God. The way's been made for us by Jesus and this is what Paul was pointing out to Peter. And I bet Peter's thinking about this and saying, you know, he's right. I tried to keep the law. I tried to do the best I could. I gave it to all my, th- but no peace came in my life. No sense of satisfaction. No real forgiveness came into my life until I trusted in Jesus. Yes, it's true. Look at it there at the end of verse 16. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Is that true for Jewish people? Yes, it is. Is it true for Gentile people? Yes, it is. Is it true for American people, for British people, for Russian people, for white people, for black people? It's true for everybody. We're not going to find our right place before God based on what we can do for him. It's only based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Paul is calling Peter's attention to this. Now, if I was thinking about this in sort of a dramatic sense, I would have one of Paul's opponents in this, maybe one of these certain men from Jerusalem, stand up at this point and call out an objection. Paul, I object. I object. You see, Paul, you're saying that we don't have to be good to be saved, that we're not saved by our goodness, but we're saved by what Jesus has done for us. Now listen, if I'm not saved by my goodness, then why be good? Aren't we just going to abuse this? Aren't we just going to say, well, fine, I'll receive the forgiveness that's in Jesus, and then I'll just go live any way I want. And this is the question he deals with in verse 17. Take a look at this. He says, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? In other words, Paul, what you're saying is this whole salvation by grace, by the free gift of God, Paul, this whole business, you're just making Jesus the author The agent of sin in our life. That's the objection, Paul. Answer that one. Well, he does answer it. Look at at the end of verse 17. Certainly not. Is that enough for you? He says, no way. That's not how it works. Matter of fact, he's going to show you something brilliant in verse 18. And I know the phrasing may be a little bit complicated, but if you take it piece by piece and understand it, this is is eye-opening in verse 18. He says, For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Let me explain to you what Paul means. And I'll do it sort of by painting a picture. Think of Paul before he came to Jesus Christ. He's trying to build a way to God, right? He wants to come to God. So he tries to build a way, and oh, he works hard. Boy, did Paul try to work hard to be saved before he knew Jesus Christ. And so he's trying to build a bridge to God. And so he's building and building and building, but it's all based on what he can do, on what he can accomplish before God. He stands for God. Hey, God, I went to synagogue this last Sabbath, right? That's another stick in his bridge hey, God, I gave some money to the, to the synagogue. That's another stick in the bridge. Oh, hey, God, I, I didn't eat any uh, unkosher stuff this week. No, no pork chops, no bacon. That's another stick in the... You know, on and on. He's trying to build his way. But you know what? That bridge is just rickety. It's like one of those old rickety rope bridges that they have in the action movies that the heroes fight on, and they're all falling to pieces. That bridge isn't going to get Paul anywhere. Now, when Paul came to Jesus Christ, he destroyed that bridge. He said, you know what, this bridge of building things by my own efforts, I'm blowing that up. It's gone. And do you see it explode and shatter and go down into the canyon? And God says, Paul, I'm glad you destroyed that bridge because look what I built for you. And there's a beautiful eight-lane superhighway bridge built across the chasm that God says, I built this bridge. Now you just come and walk across it. And Paul's so excited. He says, oh, great, man, this is God's bridge. He built it. This is God's way. God is a master builder. Jesus was a great carpenter. Look at this bridge he built. Man, it's unbelievable. Now, you know what Paul says? He says, if we put ourselves back under the law, we're building our own bridge again. Look at it in verse 18. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. That's what we're doing when we put ourselves under this performance trap Christianity. When we put ourselves under this idea that God accepts us or rejects us based on our performance instead of based on what Jesus has done for us. It's like, there's God's superhighway bridge. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Say, well, no thanks, God. I'll build my own. I kind of like that bridge I was working on before I met you. Let me get back to work on it. And so you're here at church this morning You go, well, that's a brownie point before God. That's, a, that's another little board in my bridge. And you put some money in the offering. and say, ooh, that scores me some points before God. And you put another board on your bridge. And you say, well, I did this and I did that. And you're trying to build your bridge. And you're trying to build again your own way to God. You know, God's not having any of it. Matter of fact, God looks at your bridge and he says, I'm offended by that. Look at what I built for you. How can you do this? How can you reject the bridge that I've made for you? How can you reject the way that I've provided and build your own thing?" Friends, this is the message of verse 18. This is the tragedy and the irony of legalism. It's when we try to be more right with God based on what we can do for him, we end up being less right with him. Because we're rejecting the work of Jesus on our behalf. And so you try really hard, oh God, I'm going to make you happy with me, I'm going to find approval in your sight. I'll go to church every week. I'll do this. I'll do that. You make the list of things you're going to do. Oh, God, then I'll be right. Then you'll love me. Then you'll accept me. And you try to be right with God that way, right? But you're actually moving further away from God because you're looking at what Jesus did on the cross. you not good enough. You're looking at God's bridge and saying, not good enough. I'll build my own. You're making yourself a transgressor then, just like Paul says in verse 18, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Friends, this is a a marvelous principle for us that trying to be set right with God by what we do makes us less right with God, not more right with him. As I said before, this is the tragedy. This is the irony of legalism. Do you know what legalism is? It's not obedience. Obedience isn't legalism. Obedience is the joy of a Christian. Sometimes whenever people hear a call to obedience, they think that's legalism. No, obedience isn't legalism. Legalism is when we think our relationship with God is based on what we can do for him, not based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you know what? For some of you, this is your morning. For some people here... This is your morning to be set free from the performance trap before God. You've been trying to make your place before God to find your standing before Him based on what you do. Maybe that's why you're here at church this morning. I score a little brownie point with God. You know, God's happy that you're here. But you're accepted before Him by what He did for you in Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the whole issue right here. It's what Jesus did for us, not what we do for Him. Matter of fact, Our relationship to the law is so radically changed that Paul has to describe it as a death. Look at it here in verse 19. He says, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. This is amazing. You know, when Paul said this before everybody at the potluck supper, you know, there they are. The the Jewish Christians are on one side and the Gentile Christians on the other. Paul's looking at the Jewish Christians and he says, I died to the law. When he said that, every jaw dropped, just like in the cartoons. They couldn't believe it. What are you saying? You died to the law? Paul, you're crazy. How, How could you say that you've died to the law? Paul says, I'll tell you how I died to the law. The law killed me. That's what he says there in verse 19. Look at it again. For I, through the law, died to the law. How did Paul die to the law? Through the law. The law killed him. Paul could sing that song. I fought the law and the law won. It got him, didn't it? I mean, think about it. When Paul measured his life against God's holy standard, and I mean the fullness of the standard, not the way we like to shape and mold it. I mean, when he understood what the law really meant, as Jesus explained it in the Sermon on the Mount, in other words, there was a time when Paul patted himself on the back because he never killed anybody. But when he heard Jesus explain in the Sermon on the Mount that it's not just killing somebody, it's if you got murder in your heart, you've broken the law. Paul said, ooh, wait a minute, maybe I have broken the law then when he heard Jesus speak about adultery in the heart and all the evil that can come forth from the heart and how the law speaks of the heart, not just to the actions. Paul said, wow, I am guilty before God. And he looked at the law and he says, the law doesn't justify me before God. The law kills me. I'm dead. I'm guilty. Think of it this way. You're in the court of law, right? And let's say you don't have a good fancy pants lawyer on your side. Let's just say it's all being done in truth right there between you and the judge. Now, you're completely innocent. Is the law on your side or against you? It's on your side, right? I mean, if you're innocent, if you're not guilty, then the law's on your side. But what if you're guilty? What if you stand before that judge's bench and you are guilty, guilty, guilty? You did it. Then the law is against you. When you're guilty, the law kills you. And when Paul took a look at the law, he says, it kills me. He says it again, verse 19, for I through the law died to the law. And then it gets exciting. Here's the resurrection, verse 19, that I might live to God. Isn't that beautiful? Now, friends, I want you to understand something. He could only live to God once he died to the law. You can't be alive to God until you die to the law, until you die to legalism as long as you're trying to make your standing before God based on what you do for him, as long as you're caught in that performance trap Christianity, you're not going to be alive to God. You're going to be dead to him. You're not going to have the vibrant Christian life that he wants you to have. But friends, once you're set free from that performance trap Christianity, once you see your standing in Jesus Christ and not in yourself, man, the life of God just floods into you. It's amazing. It's like you're, you're resurrected. Friends, this is what you need to come to. You need to be able to tell the law a thing or two. Martin Luther talks about this in his wonderful commentary on Galatians. I'm going to read you a little section from it. He says, Blessed is the person who knows how to use this truth in times of distress. He can talk. He can say, and I love how he puts this. He can say, Mr. Law, go ahead and accuse me as much as you like. I know I've committed many sins and I continue to sin daily, but that does not bother me. You've got to shout louder, Mr. Law. I'm deaf, you know. Talk as much as you like. I am dead to you. Isn't that beautiful? Have a little talk with the law and say, Mr. Law, I'm dead to you, but I'm alive to Jesus Christ. And when you're alive in Jesus, it shows in your life. Most people who are really caught up in legalism that I know, they're not people who are full of life. They're sort of dour Sour, face has that lemon-sucking kind of expression on it. You know why? Because they're not dead to the law. And once you're dead to the law and legalism, then you can really be alive to God. And I am thrilled at the idea that for some of you, this is shining upon your life for the first time this morning. And you're seeing it. And you realize how foolish you've been to try to make your standing before God by what you do for him. Instead, it's all of what Jesus has done. It's all of grace. And when you see that, when that light shines down into your soul, it's like a window into heaven is open. It's like the sky is more blue and the birds sing louder. It really is. Friends, you're dead to the law, but you're alive to God. Now, I would just love it if one of Paul's opponents would have stood up and said, Paul, when did you die to the law? You look pretty alive to me. You see, I'm glad you asked that. Verse 20. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You want to know when I died to the law? I died to the law when Jesus died on the cross. You see, he died in my place on the cross, So it's like it was me up with him on the cross. He died, and I died to the law when he died. So then it's no longer I who live. No, Christ lives in me. It's not my life that's important anymore. It's the life of Jesus Christ in me. I'm alive to Jesus. A great exchange has occurred. I give God my old try-to-be-God-right-before-God-by-the-law kind of life. That's crucified on the cross. And then Jesus gives me, he gave Paul his life. Jesus came to live in us. So you know what that means? It means your life doesn't belong to you anymore. It's not. You're renting somebody's life. You're managing somebody else's life. It's Jesus' life that you're living. So go out and live for him. You know, that life that Jesus gives you is glorious. It sets you free. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And the life that you live, if you notice here, verse 20, he says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not by law-keeping, but by faith. That's the, the cord of relationship that I have with God. It's based on faith. It's not based on what I can do for Him. You see, the point of the verse is faith. It's not just a topic which Paul preached about occasionally. He lived it frontwards and backwards. It connects us with Jesus Christ. That's where you need to come this morning. And you know what a glorious person you have to trust. Look at it here at the end of verse 20. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved you. Isn't the it interesting? They didn't say loves in the present tense. He says loved in the past tense. You know why? Because he's looking back to the cross. He's saying he loved you in time past. It's proven, it's demonstrated. He loved you. He loved you in the past. In the manger at Bethlehem, he loved you in the days of his earthly ministry. He loved you when he was being baptized. He loved you when he was suffering. He loved you on the cross. He loved you in the empty tomb. He loved you. Once and for all, he loved you. Let me ask you a question. Did the law ever love you? Did the law ever sacrifice itself for you? Did it ever die for you? No. The law is great at what it does. It shows you you need God. And then when you come to God, you say, great, I don't live under the law. I honor the law, I respect the law, but I don't live under it anymore. Now I live under Jesus Christ. Could I emphasize a couple more words there in verse 20? How about the words, for me? Do you believe that? Could you cross that out and write your name in there? And gave himself for, and write your name in there? That's where it has to come, friends. Some of you might be here this morning and you you believe that Jesus died for the whole world in some big majestic sense. Sure, sure, Jesus died as a noble act for humanity. Do you believe that he died for you? That if you were the only person on planet earth who needed saving, he would have done it for you because he loves you. Jesus didn't come just to save people as as a mass, as a group, but individuals, you. It's for you that he wants to have a personal relationship. It's for you that he did this. And it's not, not something that's just given to a group, but to individuals. Now, why is this so important? Paul shows us here in verse 21, and it's pretty heavy. You almost wish that, that we could conclude this morning on something that's a higher point, but verse 21 is just plain heavy. Paul's explaining why this is so important. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Let me spell it out for you, my friends. If we can be made right with God by what we do, if we depend on what we do, then you're setting aside the grace of God. Go ahead there. God offers you his grace. Tell him, no, I don't need it. I'll depend on what I do. You don't want to do that, my friends. Or how about the other aspect of it? When you depend on what you do, you say that Jesus' death was meaningless. You say, well, it's fine he died on the cross, but that's not necessary. I can make my own way to God by what I do. Are you convinced, are you persuaded this morning that you have no way to God, no standing before God, no rightness before God, except by what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross? Now, for some of us, that rubs us the wrong way. You know, we're independent sorts. I don't want to take charity from no one. Come on, I'll stand on my own two feet. I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't need this kind of charity from anybody. To be honest with you, that's pride. and That's wrong. In this case, you do need charity. You do need the grace of God to do the work for you. Because you cannot do it yourself. And let me use a crude example. And again, I, I don't mean this example to offend anybody, but... Just, just to give a, an analogy, let's say that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is worth a million dollars, you know, and, and you come along and you try to buy the value of that work by your works, and your works are worth one penny. Here you go, here, million dollars, I'll pay for that with one penny. I'll match it up against that. You say, well, look, it's both money, isn't it? It's not the same. You can't even compare the two. Trying to get to God and be right before Him based on what you do is about as foolish as trying to pay a million dollar debt with a penny. So that leaves us thinking about how all this confrontation ended. Right? Paul finished his great speech at the church potluck in Antioch, and there's dead quiet all over the room. And I hope that this is what happened. I hope that the Jews and the Gentiles said, This is crazy. We're not going to eat at different tables. We're not going to sit at different sections of the room. We're one in Jesus. The, the Jews come before God based on what Jesus done. And so do the Gentiles. Keeping the law, if you want to keep it, fine, but it doesn't make you any more proof before God. Let's come together. And the Gentile believers, they look across at what's on the, the Jewish believers' tables, and they say, man, I want some of that. Give me some of that gefilte fish and the matzo balls. Wow, it's good stuff. And some of the Jewish believers, they look over what's on the Gentiles' table and say, man, I always want to try ham. That sounds pretty good. And they all came together, and they realized that there's no wall between You see, because the case with Peter in this is this was something that Peter believed in his heart, but he wasn't acting consistent with it. Check that out in verses 15 and 16, where Paul says, we who are Jews by nature, and then in verse 16 he says, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ. He's talking to Peter there, right? He's saying, Peter, you and I both, we know this. Peter, you know this. And Peter did know it. Sometimes we forget, don't we? Sometimes our actions, our attitudes, don't match up with what we really believe. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. If I were to present it to you as a quiz, you know, here's the quiz after the sermon, and, you know, um, how are we made right before God? Okay, A, um, by what Jesus did for us alone, or B, by what Jesus did for us and what we can do for him. Okay, and here's the quiz, and you say, okay, A or B, A or B. Okay, it's A, what Jesus did for us alone. Great! You answered the quiz correctly. You may know it in your head, but do you know it in your life? Do you wake up? In the morning or go to bed at night with this haunting feeling that God doesn't really love you or accept you, you're probably living on that performance trap Christianity. Are you always disappointed in yourself? You're probably living in that performance trap Christianity. Because when you're living by grace, you realize that you'd be disappointed in yourself all the time. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is your focus. And this isn't just something for us to know in our minds. God wants you to do what Peter had to do. Take it from a realm of belief. And move it out into daily attitude and action. It'll transform your life. You know what else? It means God's given you a great message to spread to others. Isn't this good news? You come to God right now. It doesn't matter if you're the filthiest sinner who ever walked the face of the earth. Hey, it's not based on what you have done or can do. You come to Jesus now, and you know what? He'll change your life, He'll cleanse you, He'll make you a different person. But you come to him, you come on the base of what he's done, not on what you can do for him. Well, let's pray.